We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Matt Shield, welcome to the show. Many thanks for having me. This is, uh, is going to be fun. Yeah, I know. Well, you're a, a multipreneur, kind of like me, on real estate, tech company. You're the host of a podcast, Invest in Square Feet. It's kind of cool because we have about the same number of episodes. So that, we're that's like, amazing. I know. And we're like about the same level of like experience with this. So it's always great to just like talk to a fellow podcaster, fellow entrepreneur, you know, someone that's like similar trajectory as me, because it's just fascinating to see how people, you know, get to where they got to go. Yeah. And we're going to talk all about that later on. But as I always like to say, I'm super boring this way, but I always only have one question. The question I always start off with, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today. Yeah, man. Th th and thanks for having me. This is, this, like I said, this is going to be fun, but I've had an eclectic background, I guess you could say. So when I was younger, my dad and I always wanted to get involved in real estate. And that, that meant basically buying houses, fixing them up, selling them, renting them out. Right. And I started, I started doing that type of work working on houses by putting robes on houses when I was about 10 years old or so. So I got very, I got started at this very, very early. Unfortunately, when my, when I was 16, my dad passed away. He was, he drowned in Cape Hatteras. So it was a big, big shock. And going out of college or out of high school, I did not go to college. I, I basically joined a, uh, an apprenticeship program, an electrical, electrical apprenticeship program because that was one thing that I didn't really understand all that terribly much about. So I went through, there's a five-year program. I went through, got my certification. And it's basically as soon as I could, I went and took the state test and got my state certification and started my own electoral contracting company. So that was 21, 22, something like that at the time. And actually, incidentally, I also purchased my first house when I was 19 to flip. So I've been doing this for you know, quite a bit of time. 
Um, but when I when I had the electrical contracting company, obviously we had different electrical projects going on. But if we were slow, I would send the guys to whatever house we were working on, and that was kind of what we used to fill fill those gaps. And that was going very very well until until 2008 happened, and I'm in the Cleveland market. So I had a number of people that went out of business or another, a number of other companies that went out of business that owed us quite a bit of money, which then put the electrical contracting company out of business. But fortunately, I'm going to say 2005-ish, we had started getting involved in energy management, right? So we were controlling building systems remotely, you know, controlling lighting systems, HVAC systems before any of that was really done. You know, it was pretty... That was pretty hot stuff back in 2005. Now, you know, you control your toaster with your phone, right? So we had a little bit of software experience. And in 2008 was when the first iPhone came out. So, you know, the, the iTunes store and the app store hit the, you know, hit the mainstream. And I said, hey, let's give that a shot, right? So we started designing apps. And I want to say, I could be completely wrong about this, but I want to say that we were actually one of the first like 200,000 apps in the app store, right? So um, relatively early on. So technology company kind of morphed and changed into what it is today. So today we do digital transformation for companies. So we evaluate how they, how their processes work, how their systems work, what information are they taking in, what information is coming out. So we create custom software and apps for, for companies today. But the technology company started doing well 2017-ish. So I, I started, to, I should I should also mention when, when the electro contracting company went out of business, I basically stopped in the real estate game. So I hadn't been in the real estate arena for 10 years or so, give or take. So in 2017, I got the itch to get back in again, did some more research, was looking to, to do single family homes and just kept running across multifamily apartments and I'm just like that makes so much more sense so that's the direction that I went joined a networking group met a partner or my partner and we started purchasing properties in 2018 I think it was and today we've got almost 60 million dollars worth of assets that we that we have under management so so it's been it's been a good ride and along with the Investing in real estate, we also have a property management company. So we manage all of the, the properties that, that we run. Uh, and then we also have a construction company. So we do all the construction, you know, renovations on the properties as well. Then I also have a podcast, as you mentioned, past the, or I'm sorry, Invest in Square Feet. It, we just rebranded it. It used to be called Pat, Pass the Secret Sauce, but it's now Invest in Square Feet. So, so that's how I am. That's where I got to today. Wow. That's a pretty eclectic. Ride. I told you it was eclectic. <laughs> I told you. But that's I, I feel like that's that's an entrepreneur thing, right? Like you're I always think so. looking for the next thing and you know, having the having the fortitude when things aren't going well to be able to keep pushing through and realizing, hey, you know, we gotta ship this or look at a new market or you know, take this these assets that we've built up or this knowledge that we've built up and shift it into some other type of, of product or market, right? Yeah, I mean, it seems like the only constant is change in this sort of thing, you know? I mean, it, 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 you know, fr from your career trajectory, I mean, there's components of it that are the same. I mean, I'm assuming that the, the, the tech company, when it does digital transformation, is it for real estate and contractors or is it, it generally is. for everyone? 
It is, uh, we'll say construction. Construction. That, that seems to be mostly the types of companies that we gravitate toward. Again, we understand construction. We understand all mm -hmm. of the pain points and mm -hmm. the issues that they might be running into. So it just makes makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of interesting how, what's funny when you talk about your dad and you know you were roofing at 10. My, my dad, he... He loved working around the house. So we, our house was constantly being built. And what I mean by constantly being built is I don't think it's still done. <laughs> and he can't do it anymore because he's got Alzheimer's and dementia. So he's pretty much on the path, that path. But yeah, I wasn't roofing at 10, but I was digging ditches at 10. Okay. Yeah. I think I started roofing our house. I think it was 15 or 16, I think is when we did it. I don't remember. But it's funny because depending on how you grew up and like, you know, he, he was an engineer at United Airlines, so he had a, like a white collar job, but he grew up on a farm. And so there's this blue collar work ethic that I always like to talk about that I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't really, well, the ones that understand it respect the fact that a lot of this job is just good old fashioned blue collar work ethic. It ain't about how smart you are, quote unquote. It ain't about you have your education. I mean, some of the most famous entrepreneurs in the world dropped out of college, you know, Zuckerberg, you know, Bill Gates, like the list goes on and on. It's, it's really like how you've solidified your work ethic. And I'm just curious if you found that throughout your career, because again, the trades come up a lot nowadays, right? Because, you know, a lot of, I mean, I think I read a statistic that like more, more men are dropping out of college and not going, more women are graduating college than men, but it's like the opportunity for that I wouldn't call it like, I wouldn't call it a fantasy, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. But I mean, the, the dream of get a college degree, get a good job. I mean, it's gone. It seems like it's gone. I'm just curious if you find that same thing and like how that blue collar work ethic sort of like filters through what you do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One second. I'm going to mute this. And I know that you said that. There we go. Ringer muted. So. I completely 100% agree with that. And I feel like this is something that a lot of people can learn a lot from. When you, you know, when you have a staff and when you have people that are looking at you, you know, when you're leading other people, one of the most powerful things that I've found is to be able to, to let them know, hey, I'm willing to jump in and do exactly what it is that I'm asking you to do. And I mean, I'm, I'm literally sitting in in a property today. Our property manager left about two weeks ago, all in good terms. He wanted to do a different, wanted to go a different path, but you know that left a gap, right? And I'm close to this particular property, so I stepped in, and I can't even tell you. People respect that, and people respect when you will will step up and actually do the work that you're having other people do. I've seen other people approach it differently and, you know, almost approach it from a standpoint of, I don't, I guess the best way to be able to describe it, I've, I've seen people almost present themselves in a, with a mentality of you're here to serve me, right? For, for the employees and for the staff, you know, where just simple things like I can remember I, I have this picture of 
an, an, an old partner of mine where we were walking into the building and he had a coffee pot and everybody's working. Everybody's setting up like this is a brand new thing. He had a, co- a brand new coffee pot that he had just picked up and he, he, he walked in and he, he handed the box or put the box on a, a, a table and said, oh, this is for the staff. And I'm thinking like everybody's, everybody's running around like crazy, you know, doing all kinds of different things. And he very well could have just opened up the box and set it up and plugged it in himself. But he always approached things with, you're here to serve me. I'm not going to do this. And no one is going to work as hard for you when you approach things like that. So that's just a very, very specific, simple example but when you approach anything with that type of mentality, you're not going to get the best of people. People are going to, you know, be off put by it and, you know, not willing to work nearly as hard for you. But, you know, again, if you're able and willing to put that effort in and show them that you're willing to get dirty and, you know, do the things that everybody else does, you know, people will follow you anywhere then. So Yeah. I mean, I'd say I think it's that whole idea of being a servant leader. I, I think it was the CEO of Chick-fil-A, maybe. It's, I don't remember someone had talked about that. I mean, you know, people talk about that, but it's really very uncommon for, you know, the CEO, as an example, to be like making coffee, right? Like, it, yeah. It's some sort of like, either I'm too good for this or I'm too busy for this. And what I've found is that at that level, you know, when you're at that highest level, it's really does mean a lot it, when you're exactly. in the trench, right? Like yep. it, there, there's nothing more powerful than a leader stepping in and rolling up the sleeves. Now, it doesn't mean you have to do everything your staff can do. I mean, there's certain things, obviously, you hire them to do. But what I've found, wh- wh- and I love your thoughts on this, is like every team I've ever managed, I'm like, I'm going to do the shit no one else wants to do. Yeah. Like literally like, oh, we need to like, do the report. Okay, I'll do that. Really? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do the stuff people don't. And I don't know why, for whatever reason, that resonated with me. I'm just curious if that's like, if you found that, if how, how you think about that. I completely, completely agree. And I feel like that breaks down a lot of barriers too, because when you step in and start doing the things that nobody else wants to do, and you show them that it's not that bad, then they will step up and say, oh, I can do that too. It's it might be something that's always been dreaded by everyone in the company up until that point. But if you step in and say, okay, you know, I'll do it. Somebody else is going to step up and say, okay, you know, if Matt did it, I could do it too. Right. So I, I found that type of thing time and time again. So just being present and being aware of those types of situations when they are presented and jump on them when they are presented, because those are those are opportunities to be able to improve your team. And I've always found that, again, leading the way by example, people are going to respect that and people are going to follow you, you know, that much, that much stronger. Yeah. I wonder if it's like more authentic too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, I, yeah. I mean, talk is cheap, right? I mean, you, everybody yeah, can, true. you know, everybody can say that they're going to do something, but, you know, if you actually get in there and do it, they are going to absolutely be, you know, followers of that. Yeah. And, and I don't think, I, th- I think to be clear, it's not that you're going to go in and swoop in and do someone on somebody else's work. Right. I mean, you hire them to do a job, but 
there's the things that people dread to do. And then there's like the, you know, kind of the drudgery stuff that's like, okay, yeah, we have to do this. And yeah, it's a pain. And, you know, and it, it just always found that, that for what, I don't know what, I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, it just always resonated with me that, yeah, I, I, the boss is good enough to do this. Therefore, I'm good enough to do this or the leader or whatever. And, and it's just such a fascinating mindset that I don't know why a lot of folk, and I think in, this is the thing that I'm trying to connect it to. People with blue collar backgrounds do this more than people that have been, that have grown up or been part of a culture machine or whatever, where they didn't have to do this. Yeah. And it's almost directly related to, did you ever work in fast food? Did you ever work in retail? I don't know why, but I found that like those folks, like I, I worked at McDonald's for three months when I was 16. Okay. Transformative. Yeah. I did, I did Wendy's for probably, yeah. I think it was probably there for about a year, year and a half. Yeah. And, and actually I also did Geppetto's. Oh. I about Geppetto's. I delivered pizzas for Geppetto's too. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's not that. And I think that the humbleness of that, I mean, I remember, and then I went from working at McDonald's, working at a drugstore, what's called Long's Drugstore, which got bought by CVS a while back. But it, those jobs were not the best jobs. Like it, they were hard in different ways. Intellectually, not hard at all. Like clearly, I literally shut up the world, right? But from just like being there and customer service and right. just like it, it it just it was very humbling because when I when I'm like I'm you know I mean I went to college I'm like I'm going to college <laughs> I do not want to do this job I wanted yeah. like I want you know went to school to be an engineer so I'm like I want to be an engineer so I really want to do this but it just solidified and then now every time I'm in those situations like any server any time I'm in any kind of retail. I just so much appreciate a good retail experience. And I get really upset. I don't know if this is your experience too. If I see someone being rude to someone like that, it pisses me off to the point where I, I get to the point where I'm like, say something to them. Like, what the hell are you doing? Like, yeah. this poor person is trying to do their best. And you, what are you, what are you better than them? You're not better than them. You're, yeah. you're just probably lucky. Yeah, just yep. I'm just wondering if, like, in the trades, if you have that kind of attitude. It seems oh, like a common. Yeah, without it, without a doubt. Yeah, I, and actually, I just had this conversation with someone a, a few days ago. You know, about being humble and and what that you know exactly means, right? I, I think, and I never really thought about this before, but I do think that those types of early experiences where you are put in a position to serve people, again, fast food. You know, retail type situations are going to make you that much better of a of a person being able to understand the feelings and the emotion that other people are going through in those difficult situations, right? So, you know, just being able to tune into people and being calm with people. Again, I I just had a, a person in here forty five minutes ago who was upset about something in her apartment and. After she walked out, she's like, oh, my God, you're so nice. You know, it's it, it was so great to talk to you. I, you know, bless you, all, all of this, right? And it's just a matter of being able to connect with people when they're in that, you know, that, that state of mind where everything is falling apart, whether that be on the customer side of things or on the employee side of things, 
right? Just being able to sit there and connect with people and, and break it down and make them understand everything. It, it's, it is, I, I feel like a lot of that foundation was created in those early years of those different types of industries, those different types of situations that, that you're put in. Yeah, I, I've never really thought of that before, but I, I, I agree. Yeah, I think every young person should work fast food or retail, mm -hmm. like some sort of service business so that you really truly know how hard it is and that you respect them. Yeah. You know, like, again, I mean, I live in San Francisco, right? So we're supposed to be all woke and like thoughtful or whatever. And I just see this bad behavior all the time because people are just entitled. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, what, 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 what? How come you weren't you you didn't grow up right? Is what it yeah. And Ted, like, exactly. Not, right? Like be, be <laughs> what a kind little of experiences more, did you have? Yeah, <laughs> be a little more kind. Like you I mean, you know, you and your fancy Prada bag and your whatever, Lululemon, you couldn't do this job and it, you you would get crushed. Yeah. And you know, yep. it, it, it and I think that the reason why I bring this up and I actually harp on this a lot throughout the show about the blue collar work ethic work ethic is because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially now. So the last, I don't know, since 2008, roughly, has been, it's never easy, but it's been easier. And you could get a lot away with a lot of bad behavior and a lot of like growth hacking and a lot of things that are just like, everyone's doing it. We got free venture money or whatever. Now it's getting hard. And when I mean, hard with a capital H. And you see in the attitude of people, they don't, can't handle it. Like, oh, yeah. this doesn't work anymore. I got to work harder. Huh. I really don't want to, or I, it's not that I don't want to do that. The younger generation doesn't know how. Yeah. And that is fascinating to me. Yeah. Because people ask me all the time, like, well, it's recession. What do you do? And I'm like, well, you just work hard. Well, I'm working hard. Well, are you really? <laughs> exactly. You know, so I'm, I'm curious in your business right now, if you're seeing, especially the tech side, how's the recession impacting your business? All, I mean, all of them, but I mean, any thoughts on that? Any any ways you're navigating that that are like, yeah. So I, I feel I feel like but to answer your question, yes, it, the the businesses are being impacted from it. You know, on the real estate side of things, obviously we're relying on local industry and local jobs to be able to support you know the members in our communities with with jobs and that. So we have had a number of people who have been displaced. You know, and fortunately, you know, for the most part, people are able to still get jobs, you know, pretty, pretty quickly. But there has been some, you know, some disruption there. On the tech side, I'd say a little bit. What we've seen on the tech side of things is, you know, people may not necessarily be as eager to be able to spend money to build these systems and whatnot, but they also understand that this is making this is streamlining things and this is making things better so things that might be taking whatever two three days to be able to do like say you're creating reports right it, you know maybe all of the information is all over the place and you've got to go to different different people to be able to collect these reports and being able to have those reports done for you you know basically instantaneously i i feel like People start to understand that, and there's there's definitely a value to being able to save that time, save the manpower. So I, I feel like right now companies are looking for ways to be able to streamline both 
employee wise and also, you know, process wise. So from a tech standpoint, you know, I'll say there's a little bit of disruption, but not, not that terribly much at this point. So, so that's, that's what I would say. I, I will also say too, on the investment side of things, on the, the actual acquisition side of things, what we're starting to see too, is that there are more and more opportunities popping up where people are, they're in situations that they need to sell property, which, you know, they, they've, I learned this a long time ago that, you know, you want to be set up so that you're prepared to make a move when the opportunity presents itself rather than, oh, there's an opportunity. Let me figure out how to make that work. Right. So we've been building this machine, if you will, for the last five, six years for this type of time period when opportunities start popping up and we're able to capitalize on them. So, so we're starting to see that side of the the economy, you know, impact the business for the benefit of the real estate investment side of things. And obviously what that basically means is that there's a loser too. Somebody didn't buy it right, or they're not managing right. Or like you said, you know, now times are starting to get tough and people don't know how to deal with all of the, uh, all the extra minutia that might be coming at them. And, and it's, it's too overwhelming and, you know, they just, throw up their hands and, and move on to a new thing. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I don't like winners or losers, although that's capitalism. I'm what can't really. Well, I mean, I think overall capitalism is a winner situation in terms of overall society. I, I, I don't think you can find a better system with it, all its flaws yep. that is not really catapulted human existence to a different plane. And that's and that's something that I just was talking about somebody else on my podcast a few weeks ago. And it was actually interesting. I'd never really considered it this way before, but capitalism is really the only the only financial method if you want to look at it that way that that has ever lasted. People have come throughout history and they've tried to do things a different way and it's always failed. So you know, I don't think that in the last thousand years, anybody has really come up with this new method of doing things that hasn't been tried before, you know, even going back to, you know, Roman times and whatnot, that that didn't, that didn't fail, right? So like it or not, capitalism is the one that works and we can try to keep changing it, trying to find a different way to be able to do it. But it, it has lasted the, st- the test of time too, so... Yeah. I mean, I think same with democracy. I mean, you, you know, you, you can, if you look at the wider global time frame, you know, societies that have thrived have had democracy, you know, will of the people, you know, basically self-determinism. I, 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 think, I think that's generally capitalism and democracy pulled together. And what's interesting is that, you know, depending on what side of the spectrum you're on. And I call it a spectrum because it is like, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? I mean, I'm in San Francisco, so you probably automatically think, okay, you're a pinko <laughs> commie liberal, right? And, 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 and to a certain degree on certain things I am, right? Again, like it's, this, is, this is why these conversations are so important at all levels, at all levels of society. But, you know, you, you think about it and if you look at like democracy, capitalism and all flavors in between, and you really look at like where the flaws are, 
The typical reason the flaws exist is not because the overarching method doesn't work. It's simply because we as a society haven't figured out how, to, how we're supposed to optimize for society. And, and, and that's a very valid conversation. And that's, you know, do we want universal health care because it's good for everyone, because we are abundant? Do we want this and that? I mean, those are just questions that are not necessarily anti-capitalism. They are just society is a democratic society. We need to make these choices and what's important to us. You know, human thriving, flourishing. And what's interesting is like even global poverty generally is like there's not as much poverty now as there was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, yeah. primarily because of free market capitalism and democracy and, and, and trying to figure out the best way to do it. And again, everything has flaws. Like, believe, I mean, no one will disagree with that. But the thing that, to your point, which I really love, is I do think it's still, it stood the test of time in ways that are just not, nothing else has been as durable. Yeah. And I think for entrepreneurship, I think is the other thing, the reason why I bring this up is, I do think entrepreneurship is the way society moves forward in a positive way. And so I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, in your community, you said you're in, was it? I forgot, I wrote it down. I totally forgot. Columbus? Cleveland area. Cleveland, yeah. Cleveland area. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just curious, you know, Cleveland, Ohio, right? Ohio is sort of this weird mix of, is it the South? This, yeah, you know, I mean, exactly. it's like at the center. Yeah. You, no one really knows. I mean, until you look at a map and you're like, oh, this is interesting. This is like at the crossroads of, you know, Midwest. This, so it's like at the center. I'm just wondering how, how, how has the economy been going? in your neck of the woods and what, what's sort of the, what, what have you seen? Like, how, I mean, you mentioned a little bit that everything's being affected, but I mean, from just a community point of view, how, how are people handling it? Yeah. So I feel like this has always been one of my things too. And, and, and I try to spread this as much as I possibly can. I, I feel like the recession has absolutely impacted this area of the country and the the mindset of people in this area can get to be we'll say gloomy which you know, again kind of fits the area right they 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 tend to get depressed they tend to you know buy into all of this doom and gloom type mentality i i learned a long time ago that you should always look for the positive in every situation I mentioned earlier how my father passed away, he drowned, and I was very, very close to my dad at the time. He was, he was my best friend, right? But I can look back on that now, and obviously I would do anything to be able to have my dad back, but I can look back on that and I can absolutely realize that before that I didn't really have very many friends. I was, I was quiet, I was reserved, I was worried about what people thought about me. And then after, after he passed away, I came out of my shell and I realized life is too short to worry about what other, other people think, right? So had that not happened, I might still be a very, very you know shy individual. I might not have accomplished anything that I've accomplished. Maybe I, maybe I could have even been better. I don't know. But I will look back on my dad's passing and say that 
that was what brought me out of my shell. That That's the positive that I take away from that particular situation. So I feel like no matter no matter what you're going through, no matter what is happening in your life, being able to find the positives and and realize that is is the key to be able to make it through those types of hardships and those types of of downtimes, right? So, you know, members in our communities, you know, have been coming to me in the last couple of weeks and telling me all types of of different things that are going on and you know, just being able to, again, be present with them and, you know, be positive and turn that, turn that negative emotion around and make them see all of the positive, all the good things that are happening as well. I, I feel like th this is the way that I kind of look at, at this is by being able to shift that mentality, I'm doing my, my little part to be able to create that ripple effect, create that, you know, the butterfly effect to be able to get things moving in the positive direction and get people past this this negative way of, of thinking. So in, in a long-winded way to be able to answer your question, I, I definitely see people coming in and, and having more of a negative attitude, but I think anyone who may not necessarily see it that way should do their best to be able to flip that around and try to you know, get them to realize the, the positives in life as well. And I'm not saying everything is Roses and and you know rainbows and unicorns rainbows, is what exactly. I say. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not it's all not like that all the time, but you know, no. just just you know, seeing that positive is is really really important. So, yeah, no, I mean that's that's actually I'm glad you brought that up because you know my my wife died six years ago from leukemia, and it was an interesting journey to to today. You know, I mean, the beautiful thing is I have a fiance now and going to be a stepfather soon. And, you know, it's like just, you know, found love again. And to your point about what positive came out of that is a hard thing to answer the question on until you have some space from it. And of course, a lot of therapy later, the positive was I stopped drinking. And, you know, that's a huge thing. Like I would not have done that if Jane, her name was Jane, hadn't died. I, I mean, I just don't think I would have because we... We had a culture, you know, we were, you know, we love to drink whiskey. <laughs> that was sort of one yeah. of one of our things. And it and it's funny because I do tend to bias negative generally. That's like just my demeanor. And as time has gone on and you know, going through the loss and grief of someone you love, you sort of realize that the, the every day is a precious day. And how can I make this day the best day I can make it, even if it's in a bad day? And, you know, I mean. You know, in terms of my life and my career and everything, it's there's really nothing I should complain about, to be honest. Like I've lived a relatively charmed, blessed, whatever you want to call it, life, you know. But still I find myself like, God, I wish I could be better. I wish I could like start another startup. I wish I could, why isn't the podcast, you know, like, you know, because you're an entrepreneur and you're like pushing these things forward. But to your point about reflection on it, it's like, is this really the worst day of your life that your you know air conditioning didn't work or yeah you know how could we I love I love your I love your comment on how to turn the bad into the good yeah I mean are there other instances of that in your life other instances of that so what I, I feel like this is a little bit different but along the lines of entrepreneur mentality I guess. I, I see a lot of people making the mistake of 
using the term I too much, right? Especially the newer ones, right? I did this, I bought that, I built this, I did that, whatever. I learned this early on as well. Just by changing I to we, you make yourself sound so much bigger. You you make it see even if you are, even if it is I, even if you are the only person in the company, if you change that to we, you now become, you know, oh, there's other people behind him and other people there to be able to help solve things when when things go wrong. So I, I feel like, again, just taking taking a, a slight spin from, you know, not necessarily negative, but focusing on me and focusing on we, us, is is one of those other tips that I, I really found a great deal of value in being able to, to present and, you know, just, just communicate with other people with that type of, of mentality. Right. So I don't, I know that didn't answer your question directly, but that popped in my head as being, you know, an important piece that I've learned along the way to make myself seem bigger than maybe what I was at the time. Right. So yeah, from I to we. Yeah. Yeah. So we we built this, we did that, we invested this, we bought that. And you know, if we're having a conversation, I won't I won't use the term I, you know, in those those types of, of situations. It's just something that that I've learned over the years. It's it's always we and and you know, after I, I've been called out a number of times, like, well, who's we? And well, we've got this, 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 this. And then, you know, people understand that, again, there's more than just just one person behind the, the show. Yeah, yeah, I like the idea it's bigger than you, mm-hmm. you know? And, I, I, and, and that's what this is all about, too. I mean, entrepreneurialism, every, everything that you're building is bigger than you, and you need to get past yourself because I, I think that's a lot, of, that a lot of times, too, that people stumble on themselves and they're so proud of what they did and I started this and I did this. You can, you can say that. But also learn to be able, you know, when you're when you're pitching yourself or telling your story to others, it's always we, you know, we built this, we did that, we 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 bought this, whatever, right? So, yeah, I mean, I I I, I like that kind of framework, and and you know, sometimes it's hard to do. And again, you know, you should take credit for what you've done, obviously. But one of the things that I I was actually talking to someone on LinkedIn about this and I was trying to formulate like a leadership mantra. And the leadership mantra that I came up with originally was was pretty harsh. It was like uh, something like first to blame and none of the fame or something like that, right? And we were going back and forth on Twitter with someone I've actually been following for a long time and he's like, "No, no, you like it should be first to blame, last for fame." And if you have that attitude, right, as a leader, and again, I think this is the whole we thing, it's really a very powerful metaphor. And, and I have to keep on reminding me of this, myself of this. So again, I'm not perfect. No one is. But but the whole idea of last to fame or first to blame, last to fame is, is this idea of as a leader, as an entrepreneur, yeah, I'm the tip of the spear. I'm the one that's going to have both the glory and the blame. But I should really very much in my own head, so I'm not in the bubble of my own ego. I'm not like getting sucked into my own narrative. Again, I think you mentioned humble servant leadership. We talked about servant, but very humbling to realize that it takes more than just you. And 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 
that I think, so those two concepts, the blue collar work ethic, and it's more than you, you know, this whole, it's not I, it's we are sort of the nexus, I think of entrepreneurship. And I, I'm wondering if you'd add any more to that, or if, 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 if you agree with that. I, I completely agree with it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I feel like once you have those, those foundational pieces, you know, really instilled in yourself and really learn them yourself, it, it, it just sort of, it exudes out of you and people will be, will be attracted to that. That's what I've found is I, there's always people that are like I mentioned the woman who just walked out of the office here an hour ago or so she came in upset and you know you approach it with that type of mentality where you know we're going to fix this and we're going to make this better and she understands all of that having that that you know it, even just as something as simple as okay well let's let's go see let's go look at what it is that you're you're talking about okay. Well, let me. I'll I'll text the guys that are going to come and fix it right away. Right, just just having that little bit of an interaction completely transformed a conversation. So, I I don't know that I have that much more to add to that, but I I feel like that's that's a great great foundation. I will say that one of the other things that we found too is we've gone through and we've done all of our core value work and all of that, which a lot of people may say that they've done that, but then it sits on a shelf and they never talk about it. They never, it's never viewed. It's never seen. We put all of the core values, you know, right into job listings, job postings. Everyone talks about these all the time. So, and and actually, interestingly enough, what we, I actually learned from one of the podcast guests that I had when you're making your core values, what a lot of people will do is they'll just use one term. They'll use one word. You know, we want to be innovative, right? What you want to do is create an action-based version of that, right? So change that one word into we want to create innovation so that it, it's a tangible thing and, and you know, it actually means something. So for instance, we had we used to have collaborative as one of our core values, and we changed that to "I'm honored to push your brew." So that broke down that that broke down down so many different barriers that we that we were having at the time, where people were saying, "Well, that's not my job. I wasn't hired to do that." But again, we're trying to bring the humbleness back into this, and no matter what it is. You know, even even if it's me, I'm willing to help you. If if you're going to ask me for help, I'm here to help you. And and that statement, I'm honored to push your broom, means that if if I ask you for help, I'm being humbled and saying I can't do something or I need help with this. And then you should be, you know, the other person that you're asking is willing to step up and honored that you've asked them for whatever that help might be. So that really broke down a lot of dynamics that we were, you know, that we were struggling with just by, you know, learning to position your, your core values as a verb or with a verb or, you know, some type of action base behind it. And in that case, again, we, we solved the problem of, I, you know, I wasn't hired for that. That's not my job. So, hmm. um, I love that. I'm honored to push your growth. 
That's yeah. a really, that's very thoughtful too. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's like it, a both kind of thing, you know? It is, yeah. Yeah, and, and I feel like when you go through these situations, when you're put in all of these different situations, being able to sit there and reflect on, these are all the things that we're struggling with. You know, how, how can we distill this down into a solution that, that can make sense across multiple, multiple avenues? So we, we do spend quite a bit of time going through and, and expressing the core values, but then also reflecting on the core values. And, you know, does, does, have we changed? Do we need to update these? Do we need to phrase these things differently? So we're constantly looking at those types of things to be able to determine, you know, does this still align with us? Wow. Well, Matt, I think that's a great place to end. <laughs> I really appreciate your, your candor, your insights. Good luck with all you're doing. And just, yeah, just really, just really enjoyed it. I mean, I just, again, I love pushing in on people's journey, you know, and, and, and it, it just reflects, it just reflects how they run things today, you know, and, and that's, that's just so fascinating, which again, a lot of people don't really understand, like you get formed this sort yeah. of crucible of entrepreneurship. So with, yeah, appreciate your that. time. No, appreciate I appreciate being here and thanks for the invites and yeah, this is fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.